We are slowly making our way through those beginning chapters in Luke. We spent about three weeks in Luke chapter 5, moving in to chapter 6 today. Jesus' famous um, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Sermon on the Plain in Luke. So as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Creator God, you created us with free will and freedom of choice. By the power of the Holy Spirit, speak your word through the words of Scripture, that we may live according to your will, through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So reading from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of God. For us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. 2,000 years later, a preacher said, this so-called sermon on the plain still messes with our heads. You know, I was chatting with a couple of clergy colleagues this past week because I went into the week, went to a preaching conference with some friends, and all of us were preparing for this Sunday. Those of us following the lectionary were preaching on this text, and we all kind of named the same thing, the Beatitudes. What are we going to do with them? The challenge of those blessings and woes. Now you would think, um, after having been in ministry for 17 years, what is that, around 800 or more sermons, um, the Beatitudes falling in there every now and then, that as a preacher, I would get to the place where I would be like, okay, the blessings and the woes, I got this. Uh, But no, 2,000 years later, 17 years of preaching later, around 800 sermons later, the so-called sermon on the plain still messes with our heads. The things 
that common sense and common custom maintain as desirable are suddenly said to be undesirable. And the very words of Jesus, the hungry, the poor, those who hurt, those who mourn, are those to be celebrated. And those who are rich, who are full now, who laugh, woe to you. I wouldn't want to be you. As I said, this sermon of Jesus, it's also found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount there. Uh, there's a few differences, a few different things that are named. But when you get to the Beatitudes in Matthew, they're a little more spiritualized. You get, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But for Luke, there isn't this spiritual bent. Jesus is very clear. Those who are hungry will be filled. Those who weep will laugh. Those who were hated, excluded, reviled, defamed, why, they will be blessed. These blessings are in the present tense, and the woes well, they'll come at some point in the future, and I wouldn't want to be you. There's one commentary that I was reading that jokingly said, what is this? Does God only love us when we're miserable? Is it better to be poor, hungry, and the like, rather than to be rich, well-fed, and the like? I can't imagine that this is the message Jesus came to share. What we are to hear, maybe, um, isn't that God only loves us when we're miserable, but promises. Promises to those who are suffering in this world that God sees them, loves them, and is intent on their thriving. Jesus' words also offer up this challenge to his hearers um, that we are also to live with attention and generosity toward those who are suffering in this world, that we should be intent upon their thriving as God is attentive and generous. Now there's a couple things, a couple things with this sermon on the plain um, that we have to watch. It's easy to make ourselves feel better by saying that Jesus is just naming sometime in the future when all will be remedied when God will fix all the things, or we kind of hear it as back then. Jesus addressing a world that's very structure was unfair with some on the top and those held at the bottom and, and say, we're better today. All have access to upward mobility. But sadly, in our brokenness, as history continues to show, we create structures where those are on top. And for someone to be on top, someone has to be on the bottom. I was reading a book recently that um, lifted a little bit more the life of Helen Keller than I knew about. I mean, you hear about her struggles and how she overcame them, but this book had this comment from her. She said, I had once believed that we were all masters of our fate, that we could mold our lives into any form we pleased. I had overcome deafness and blindness sufficiently to be happy, and I suppose that anyone could come out victorious if they threw themselves valiantly into life's struggle. 
But as I went more and more about the country, I learned that I had spoken with assurance on a subject I knew little about. I learned that the power to rise in the world is not within the reach of everyone. More recently, I was a history professor that was bemoaning um, the lack of discussion around class structure in the textbooks our students use to learn about American history. He says, you know, high school students, they have eyes, ears, television sets, they have these cell phones, which are basically little portable computers, so they know a lot about the relative privilege in America. They measure their family's social position against that of other families and their community's position against other communities. Middle-class students especially, he says, know little about how the American class structure works, however, and nothing at all about how it's changed over time. He said these students don't leave high school merely ignorant of the workings of class structure. They come out as terrible sociologists. Why are people poor, he says he would ask his first-year college students. Or if their class position is one of relative privilege, why is your family well off? And he says the answers he received um, to characterize them charitably are half-formed and naive. The students blame the poor for not being successful. They have no understanding of the ways that opportunity is not equal in America and no notion that social structure pushes people around, influencing the ideas they hold and the lives they fashion. Now, we could get in a long discussion um, on these things lifted and named by Keller and this quote from this history professor, go down different roads, but I share them to say, Maybe these words of Jesus, these words lifted over 2,000 years ago, still mess with our heads because, one, we know inequality and equity is real. We know the zip code that you are born in shapes your life. We see the gaps, the wealth gap, the food deserts, the education gap, the other gaps around the globe that mark these two sides of the blessings and the woes. We know this. And two, we also know the stories of those who've worked hard, who've taken advantage of opportunities, who've created a comfortable life. We may feel this is us. We've earned where we are. So we struggle to really grasp the message of Jesus, to kind of hold our place in the blessings and the woes. I mean, we could say, if we have money, if we are full, if we have a comfortable life, we did the things. That's how we got to where we are. And those who haven't done the things, well, if they had just done the things, they would be okay too. And Jesus messes with our heads because Jesus says, you may have done the things, but woe to you. I wouldn't want to be you. There's a theologian, um, Houston Gonzalez, that calls this the hard-hitting gospel in that it's good news to the poor, but it's also tough news for those who are not poor. And we just really don't know what to do with it. So I'm kind of back to where I began with the beginning of the sermon, what are we to do with this? 
I don't think there's a step-by-step in that Jesus is offering this three-point sermon and all I have to do is do X, Y, and Z and then it's done. Now, when I leaned into it this week, it was more about acknowledging I'm rich. I am full. I'm able to laugh and enjoy days of rest and vacation and dinners out and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge what that means for me, but more importantly, I acknowledge what that means for my kids and possibly even my grandkids and possibly even my great-grandkids. I strive to be grateful, to give thanks, to be generous and not live in fear of losing it all or not having enough. And then this go-around, preaching the blessings and the woes, preparing for this day, I kind of leaned into this prayer that we have been lifting every Sunday for weeks now. Um, I do hope, I hope you've taken on this tiny little spiritual discipline and are taking this prayer home and trying to begin each day with these words. New every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. Stir up in us a desire to serve you, to live peacefully with our neighbors and all your creation, and to devote each day to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. All day long, you are working for good in the world. You may have noticed our little graphic has moved from the new every morning to working for good. We've kind of moved from that new day Um, The new world, now that the word has become flesh, to the working for good. Because we, you and I, whether we are rich or poor, we are invited to be part of this good work. And if we acknowledge this, if we acknowledge that we have an invitation to be part of this good work, I guess we can say we have a couple of choices. We can stand around and theologize, I'm not sure that's a word, about these challenging, these challenging words of Jesus. We can overly spiritualize them where they have no relevant real life meaning. We can hear them and say, that's a good word, Jesus, for some time in the future when all will be well and just move on to the next thing. Or we can hold them close as pieces of our story of faith. Acknowledging the reality present Even today, in these challenging words of Jesus, we can just name the challenge of the blessings and the woes and choose to be part of the good work in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The good work to make God's kingdom where the poor are celebrated, the hungry are filled, where those who weep laugh, and those on the edges of society, marginalized, oppressed, unseen, unheard, they're seen and celebrated the work of God's kingdom present on earth as it is in heaven. I'm trying to lean into the latter. Remember that there's good work happening every day all around me. To lift it up, celebrate it, to be a part of it. Um, I named last week that I took on that 100-mile New Year challenge with the American Cancer Society because after two long years, I just needed a purpose. And I'm praying for, um, for God to help me stay open 
to receive these types of opportunities. Tomorrow, Monday, Valentine's Day, the staff and I are headed to Mad Cat to help in the clothes closet. Today, my family and I brought soup to church to help feed hungry bellies. What could be simpler? And I can also name that I'm pretty proud of our church because our communion offering for the past two months, January and February, months where people tend to struggle financially because, well, after Christmas, we're all broke in taxes. The past two months, we have given over $2,000 to aid seniors who are struggling financially um, with housing um, and to aid children in Honduras to receive an adequate education. New every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. So my hope, the call that I've kind of felt at this moment in my life, is maybe this year, after two long hard years, to just be open each month um, to finding one way I can enter into the world of another by either learning about a place, doing good work, or simply showing up to help. And no, I am not trying to earn my way into the blessing side of those and because I'm scared of the woes. That's not how our faith works. I just want to be grateful for what I have. Join God in God's good work in the world. The work God is already doing all around us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because a long time ago, Jesus came down to a level place and joined a great crowd of individuals, of seekers, of disciples, of doubters, and lifted a message that 2,000 years later still messes with our heads. It's a message that challenges because it was a message that was already changing the world, flipping it upside down. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.